Well, it is, uh, it is indeed a joy uh, to be with you once again and uh, to, to be here and to, to share God's Word uh, with you. Um, I, I uh, would draw your attention this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 in a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, I have to confess to you, I, I'm always a little nervous whenever I preach just because of the weight and the gravity of what we do. I will tell you that it, there's a little bit more this morning because I'm teaching a preaching class and several of your members are part of that class. And I thought on the way to church this morning, I better do what I've been teaching or they're going to let me know about it tomorrow night. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll, be, we'll be on target. But uh, uh, we're going to read this scripture here in, in, a, in a few minutes. But as Pastor AJ mentioned in the, uh, in the video, uh, we, are, we are right at the beginning uh, beginning this Wednesday of, of just an incredibly sacred uh, time of the year. Uh, this, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. I look forward to gathering with you uh, for your prayer service this week um, and being a part of the, the, the 40 days of, of the Lenten study that you'll be a part of. I have my book on my Kindle and I'm going to pick up my wife's book today. Uh, but we are, we are looking forward to this. This this season of the year to me is just is so is so special and so sacred, um, and it, there's there's just something about that that uh, um, well I'll, I'll tell you it came when I was uh, when I was a young parent um, which was many 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 years ago um, when my son was about four my oldest son was about four and we were listening to a uh, to a song we were driving down the road and and he he heard these words, his father turned and left him hanging there alone. And, and I could tell it just that really impacted him. I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? He said, dad, his, his daddy left him. I said, yeah, yeah, he did. But I said, buddy, it's, it's like when I go to a meeting and I come back, and, you know, it's, it's all good and his dad, he's with his dad. And then he looked at me again, almost with tears in his eyes. He said, but dad, his, his daddy left him. And it hit me that we cannot be in such a rush to the empty tomb that we forget that there is a prerequisite for a resurrection, and that is a death. And so this season, this Lenten season for me is just incredibly, incredibly sacred. I love Advent. I love the celebration of Christmas and all of that kind of thing. And if this comes across as being a little sacrilegious, forgive me. But apart from Lent and the crucifixion and the resurrection, Advent is just an extended baby shower. <laughs> when Pastor AJ called me a few months ago and said, hey, uh, we're going to be on sabbatical, and I was wondering if you would, if you would preach the first Sunday that we're gone, um, several things crossed my mind. One was when the cat's away. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know. I, I watched it happen when I was a pastor. Um, but but it, it struck me that the first Sunday that he was going to be gone was the Sunday right before Lent. And, and as I began to think about this idea of sabbatical and, 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 and also the Lenten season, uh, I recognized that there, there are some, some things, there's a, at least a couple of things in my mind that, that the sabbatical and, and this Lenten season uh, have in common. There are some similarities between the two. That are, they're based in a, in a very scriptural truth that we find in the creation narrative. If you remember, when God held that first committee meeting between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they came together. 
um, which testifies, if you read that and understand it, you testifies to the fact that God is, always has been triune in nature, always has been this, this Trinitarian uh, uh, being, that, that God in this Trinitarian being has always been relational. God has existed eternally in relationship. And this, this eternal truth that, 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 that God brings to this meeting, and God says this, let us make humankind in our own image. And in so doing, what happens is God creates us to reflect the entirety of his holy being. One of the things that fascinates me then in the creation narrative is the fact that once God's created the world, he's created all the, all the, the, the stuff, the trees and the animals and all of that kind of thing. Remember, God says at, at those points, every time he does that, he says, what? That's, that's good. But then he creates us in his image. And you remember what he says? It's very good. Very. There's something about those of us who, who share his image and share this relationship with him. And then what does he do on the seventh day? He Sabbathed. He sabbaticaled. He rested. And so it's no wonder then that when he gives the commandments to Moses, he included keeping the Sabbath holy because it's in keeping that, that Sabbath that we are able to, to be drawn into his presence more and more to to reflect his holy image, a truth that Jesus lived out constantly in his early life and ministry, not just by going to, the, to worship at the temple, but in times of solitude and silence, fasting and prayer, the participation in what we call the classic Christian disciplines today, a commandment that we even today are expected to, uh, to obey. I, and I, I don't want to say something here, and I, I, I've learned that sometimes it's important to tell you what I'm not saying. So I'm about to say something to you, and I don't want to go home and find on Twitter or on Facebook or on Snapchat or something that somebody has misquoted what I just said. I am not about to tell you that, 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 that you don't have to come to church. That is not what I'm about to say. But when the Sabbath was created, it wasn't about coming to a, a building. It was about being in the intimate presence of God himself. And so what I want to say to you is that Sunday is, 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 is our day of worship. It's a day to Sabbath corporately, which is important. But keeping Sabbath is not confined to an hour on Sunday morning so that we can fulfill an obligation, check the box off and go, okay, I got my Holy Spirit oomph, as Tony Evans says. What I've discovered is that Sabbath, whether experienced in a season like Lent or an extended sabbatical or a specific time set aside daily for prayer or silence or fasting, Sabbath has a purpose. And that purpose is to provide us with more than just a, a good Nazarene nap. The purpose of Sabbath is to be drawn deeper into the intimate presence of the holy God whose image we are to reflect so that we can then go into our world to engage more faithfully in his redemptive and restorative mission. And so this morning, as we, as we come together and prepare to corporately have an intentional time of Sabbath during this Lenten season, as Pastor AJ is, is, is off in an intentional time of sabbatical, I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning reflecting on the fact 
that Sabbath, however we celebrate it, however we experience it, however we participate in it, allows us the time to be drawn deeper into the intimate presence of God who created us to reflect himself in his relational image, who created us to live in that intimacy in order that daily we could take on his holy likeness. So that brings us to our text for this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in reverence for God's holy and sacred word. Verse 1, we read these words. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we respond by saying, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For many, this is a, a very familiar passage, one that we've probably read many times, probably heard a lot of sermons preached on it, and, and sometimes I know the temptation is to go, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, heard it, now it's time for the Nazarene nap. I get it. But, but I, want you to, I want you to stick with me as we, as we walk through this passage here, because I think, there's, I think there's something that this passage can speak to us as we, as we enter into this, this time of Sabbath that we know was Lent. The story is pretty simple. King Uzziah has been in command, and, and Isaiah has been sent by God to proclaim a message that the Israelites didn't want to hear. It's a message of judgment and destruction. That's not, that's not always a fun message. I, I, I used to tell my congregation, I like to, to preach the messages to tell you how much God loves you. I don't like to tell them to preach the messages that... that well, we live in a sinful world, and, and apart from God's grace, we're all doomed. <laughs> it's not a fun message to preach, but we need to, as John Wesley would remind us, be true to the whole of Scripture. And so as chapter 6 opens, it is this year in which the king has died, and Isaiah has been preaching this message that is not necessarily fun or popular, and it's at this pivotal time of transition Isaiah the prophet has a vision in which he sees God lifted high uh, and, and sees God in all of his power and in all of his majesty. He sees God, in a sense, in his natural element. He sees God in all of his holiness. And around him are these seraphim who are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You understand that when something is repeated three times in Scripture, it's not, it's not that the that the the writer got stuck on his computer and it just repeated itself. It's, it's the perfect expression of a characteristic. And so if I were to talk to you about the characteristic of my favorite NFL team this week, I would say champions, champions, champions. How about those chiefs? I know, you're run me out of town now, right? Um, but it's this perfect expression 
of a characteristic. And so when, when the seraphim are singing, holy, 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 they're saying God is the ultimate expression of holiness. And so as they're singing that, and as they sang that song, then, then the revelation, the re, the, as they were singing this revealing song of God's holiness, then what happens is the temple begins to shake and the sanctuary fills with smoke. And at that point, then Isaiah has one response, and that is to recognize his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people. I, I love how Isaiah goes, man, I'm a sinner, but God, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm around a bunch of other sinners too. I love that. I love that. Isaiah's like, I'm not getting caught in this alone, right? And as he confesses his sinfulness, one of the seraphim flew over to, to him and touches his lips with this burning coal to symbolize this purifying work of God. This symbolic act then proclaims that, that Isaiah's guilt is removed and his sins are forgiven. And then God asks this question that's posed at the end of every missionary service that I've ever been a part of. Whom shall I send? Quite honestly, that's the point in the story where we most often focus our attention. Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. And that's usually the point that we focus on in the text, and understandably so. But as I look in this, at this story, there's a verse that I think that sometimes we, we overlook. In fact, it's really just a portion of a verse. And I wonder that if maybe in that portion of a verse, there is a, a greater glory in this passage that is sometimes hard to see, a, a greater glory that calls and invites us into this deeper place of intimacy with God. You know, it's, it's really easy to see the great glory of God lifted high and, and, and the, the train of his robe filling the, the temple and all of that stuff that we see and we kind of imagine in our minds that, that would make great special effects in Hollywood, right? But sometimes I think it's a lot harder for us to for our eyes and our, our minds to imagine and comprehend the greater glory that we see in this passage. We see an image of God in heaven in his natural element, and, 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 and yet greater than that is what I, what I see in, chapter, in verse 5. Remember that, the, that for the Israelite people to speak God's name invited death. They had such a high regard for God that they wouldn't even write his name, which is where we get Yahweh. If you understand where we get Yahweh from, Yahweh are, are the consonants of God, of a name for God that they would, originally they would just leave blank spaces, then they would, they would put this in there to refer to God as a, in some way. And so then Yahweh became a, became a part of the language as, as a way to, to, to talk about God. Because at, at that point, before that, when they would pray to God, it would be, dear, and there they would go on. They wouldn't even say his name. And so there's this reverence for God that maybe, I don't know, maybe this wasn't really, I'm not going to charge you extra for this. Maybe we could learn something from that where, where we would have the reverence for God's name that the Israelites had. And the Israelites lived with this understanding that no one could look on God and live. Remember, there was that scene where, where Moses asked, can I, can I look at you? And God says, no, no I'll let you look at I love Scripture when it when it's, just says it like it is. You can look at my hind parts. <laughs> you can look at my backside, God says. It's not, not an image we like to think of when we think of God saying that, but that's what he says. 
They lived with this understanding that no one could look at God and live. And so in verse 5, Isaiah comes in the midst of this revelation of God's holiness. Isaiah comes to this point of the realization of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people in light of God's holiness. And he cries out, my destruction is sealed for I'm a sinful man and I'm a member of a sinful race. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I am a sinner and I'm surrounded by sinners. But here's the part that I think we overlook, the part that I think reveals the the greater glory. Isaiah, a member of the people of God who understood you could not say your right God's name, who believed you could never look on God and live, confesses his sin, confesses the sin of his people, and immediately upon that confession says this, yet I have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. No big deal. I kind of think it is. God revealed himself in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, to a man who by his own admission was a sinner, was a man of unclean lips. And the truth is that as Isaiah tells, tells us, there's this tempest that goes on in the temple, and we discover that God is untouched by the imperfections of this world. I'm not saying God, the the, the sinfulness of the world doesn't bother him. Of course it does. Why would Jesus have wept over Jerusalem if it didn't? What I'm saying is that the imperfections and the sinfulness of the world do not affect or change who God is. God is God, and his character is holy love. He is, God is involved with his creation, but as William Greathouse puts it, not only is he involved with his creation, but he is wholly other. He is completely other. And that is to say that he is separate from creation in regard to his holiness and our sinfulness. Understand this, our sinfulness and God's holiness simply cannot coexist. His purity, his glory, his holiness are so radiant that even the seraphs can't look at him and they cover their eyes. Verse 2 tells us that with two of their wings, they cover their faces. Their words can't contain his holiness. And that's why they sing as they begin singing of God's holiness. And and, and when they do, the, the temple shakes and it's filled with smoke. God's holiness is so overwhelming that it shakes the thresholds of the temple. And his holiness requires so much sacrifice that the smoke from the altar fills even fills the temple of heaven. And Isaiah's response shows a total humility and a devastation between what he sees God is and what he knows himself to be. And yet Isaiah proclaims, I've seen the king the Lord Almighty. See, my conviction is this. If we really perceived God's holiness for the glory that it is, we would never have any questions about our sin for the horror that it is. And yet we live in a culture and a time in which sin is dismissed as no big deal. See, our problem is that we are no longer devastated or overwhelmed by God's holiness because we've lost the reverence for God that the Israelites had. 
I'm thankful. I love the fact that when, when Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, that he said, you, when you pray, pray like this, Abba, Daddy. And there's this image of, of intimacy where we climb up on our dad's lap and, and just find comfort and safety as a little kid would do when they climb up on their father's lap. I just got a chance to spend some, some time with my dad when I was out in Kansas City this week. And my dad's 91 now. And, and before, some of you might be going, did you, please tell me you didn't climb up in his lap. No, I did not for, for, for his safety. Um, but there was something about being in his presence. That there was comfort and there's intimacy and there's, there's peace. And Jesus says, you, you can approach God in this way. Remember the culture, you can't even mention God's name. Jesus says, you can call him daddy. I'm thankful that, that, that Jesus taught us that. The problem is that we forget what Jesus taught us in words that immediately follow. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And what he's really praying there is that God would reveal his holy character to us and would then in turn break out his holy character on and in us. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray it so often without thought, but when we pray that prayer, it's dangerous. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As it, we just go through it with no thought. If we stopped and just went, our Father who art in heaven, break out your holy character on me and in me, we would be devastated. So we live with this watered-down, domesticated understanding and view of God's holiness because we have recreated God in our image rather than being reminded that he created us in his holy image. I'm thankful that Jesus came to, 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 and, and told us that we could call him Father, but I wish we could regain some of the reverence that the Israelites had for God that came from their understanding of his holiness. God is pure. He is without blemish. He is without sin. He is completely and totally and wholly other. We can't even begin to describe his holiness. If I were to, to take time today and ask the question, how do you describe God's holiness? We'd probably be here all day. And we would probably mention qualities of God that are expressions of his holiness. God is so holy that we can't really adequately understand or describe it. My fear is that we have lost that understanding. And I don't know whether it's because we have ignored a true understanding of sin that we've lost a sense of God's holiness or if it's because we've lost the sense of God's holiness that we simply ignore sin. Either way, it's a destructive road to travel. The truth is, we continue to rationalize and trivialize the sin that is present in our lives. Well, I'm not so bad as so-and-so. Well, so-and-so down the pew isn't the author and perfecter of your faith, nor is he or she the standard by which your righteousness will be judged. That's none other than Jesus himself. You, you know, God, so-and-so down there, I mean, I know what they're like. I know what they do. I've seen, I've, I've watched their Facebook posts. I'm not nearly as bad as them. God says, but how do you compare to the holiness that is revealed in Christ Jesus? And so we end up making excuses for our sin, and we never allow ourselves, because of that, to, 
to really see God. We don't get to that point where we are devastated by our own sinfulness that we cry out, I am a sinner, so that we can see the king. Well, some would say Isaiah blamed the people around him. Yeah, he did, but not before he confessed his own sinfulness. Remember his words, I'm a man of unclean lips. My destruction is sealed for I'm a sinful man. And then as the prophet to those people, he confessed the sin of the Israelites. That's part of his job as the prophet is to, to confess the sin of the people, but not before he allowed God's holiness to be revealed in all of its power and devastation, not before being drawn into that deep place of God's intimacy in which his holy character is revealed in all of its fullness, and not before he confessed his own sinfulness in the light of God's holiness as God hallowed his name in the presence of, of Isaiah. And I believe that because of Isaiah's willingness to allow his own sinfulness to be exposed and devastated by God's holiness, then he was able to see the king, the Lord Almighty. What happens in that moment is Isaiah sees God as the angel then takes the call and as God speaks, is that this God who is holy other, this God whose holy presence is so, so devastating, this infinite God now comes to be intimate. See, the greater glory of this story as I see it is not just the call of God on Isaiah's life. It's not just this incredible scene of God's holiness. The greater glory that we discover is that in spite of humankind's sinfulness, God draws near. Draws near to the sinner. The truth, the truth is our holiness. And remember, all throughout Scripture, we're called to be holy as God is holy. Our holiness was purchased at the cost of the holiness of heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection was not just about purchasing forgiveness, though it does that. I want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is crucial. If you have heard nothing else I've said, please hear this. Jesus' death and resurrection was not just about setting us free from the guilt of our sinful acts. Jesus' death and resurrection are also about setting us free from the grip that sinfulness has on our lives. Freeing us to be the holy people that he wants us to be. And what we need to understand and then help others understand is not just God's holiness. We've been really good in the church about expressing God's holiness and pointing out other sinfulness. But what we need to do is also express God's nearness and his intimacy as well. I'm not saying we don't talk about sin. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring people to the point that their sinfulness is exposed in the light of God's holiness. What I'm saying is I don't get to play God. And, and neither do you. And when we take the opportunities to be drawn into the intimate place of God's holy presence and there allow our lives to be exposed to the light of God's holiness, like Isaiah, we have to confess our sinfulness. But like Isaiah, in that moment, we can experience God's intimate holy presence in our lives. And then as the call comes, whom shall I send? In other words, now that you've experienced the, the intimacy of his presence, you are equipped to, to engage in his redemptive and restorative mission. Remember what I said earlier, that, that the purpose of, 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 of Sabbath and the purpose of sabbatical, the purpose of Lent is to be drawn into the presence so that we can then engage in the mission. So we hear that, whom well shall I send? And we answer with, here am I, send me. 
God is constantly inviting us into an ever-deepening relationship of intimacy in which our lives are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And in so doing, the image of God in which we are created is redeemed and we are restored to the intimate relationship for which we are created. Here's what we've been talking about all morning. We call this in the Church of Nazarene the doctrine of entire sanctification. Entire sanctification reminds us that we can be set free not only from the guilt of our sinful acts, but as we are drawn deeper into this place of God's intimacy and into his intimately holy presence, as we see the king himself, we are set free from the grip of our sinful nature so that we can not only reflect his holy presence, but then engage in his redemptive and restorative mission. John Wesley would remind us that there is no holiness apart from social holiness. We cannot live out the loving of God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength without the loving of our neighbor as ourself. We are called to a life of holy living, called to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, convicting us of our own sinful acts and desire to bring forgiveness, called to allow that same Holy Spirit to cleanse and empower that self-sovereign nature that introduced into the world so that we can daily be drawn deeper into his sanctifying presence to take on his holy character and reflect his holy image called to allow the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead to breathe his life-giving, resurrecting breath into us so that as we are drawn daily into his presence to take on his likeness, we can be empowered to live his life and engage in his mission. And God in his creative genius knew that we could never do that on our own. God knew that having been created in his likeness to reflect his holy image would not only need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, but would need times of Sabbath, times of sabbatical, times of resting in his presence, just being still and knowing who he is, times of, of rest in his intimate presence. And so he commanded us to keep the Sabbath holy to keep the Sabbath to be made holy. So as the team comes up, I, I just want to say to you this morning, as we, as we enter into this holy and sacred time of the year, God, his call to us is to be made holy, to allow his image to be redeemed in us as we are restored to the intimacy for which he created us. And he invites us to Sabbath, to, to rest in his intimate holy presence. And, and so this morning, I come simply as an emissary bearing an invitation to come into his intimate presence to be remade in his holy image. I bear his invitation to enter this sacred and holy intimacy as we journey to, together toward the cross and the empty tomb. And, and so this morning, as the team plays and leads us, if you want to find a place to pray, as, as, as I know is always the custom here, the altars are open. You just need a, maybe you just need a few moments of Sabbath rest in the presence of God himself. You just need to know the holy presence of God. The altars are open. And as we walk through this time together over these next weeks, may God draw us deeper into his presence and remake us in his image. That is my prayer for all of us. As Dr. McPherson said, our altars are open. If you'd like to come down and pray or pray right where you are, we're going to stand as we sing this uh, song. 
Don't worry about us starting if you'd like to come down or if you'd like to talk with Dr. McPherson or Pastor TJ or Pastor Nancy after the service. They would love to talk to you if you have questions. Sing about that holiness of God. The splendor of the King, cold in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. Beginning and the end, the Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, Lion and the Lamb.
to engage in his mission. In his name we pray, amen. God bless everybody.